Welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. We are in the same room. I don't even know how to deal with this. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> That's the first time in like three years. Yeah, we were trying to do the math. We're like, okay, last time we recorded in the same room was Lord of the Flies, March of 2020. Yeah, so it's been a minute. We're in the same room. I missed awesome. your face. I missed yours too. Uh, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. We are ecstatic to be in the same room together, uh, which means the return of themed cocktails and cheese boards. Which is fabulous. Do you want to tell people what's in this cocktail? Sure. This is a, a secret English garden uh, made with apple juice, ginger ale, and gin. Let's take a sip. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's actually really, really good. It's so much better than, like, the cheap-ass wine I've just been pouring in a cup. <laughs> or, like, the Diet Coke and vodka. Zero judgment. And we have in front of us a rustic cheese platter with a smoked English cheddar and a rustic bool because we learned what rustic means. Yes. Do you want to tell people what rustic means? If you ever go to a restaurant and you see this on a menu, like a rustic apple tart, it just means I have never seen a pie pan in my life. It's just flaps of dough and some apple in the center. Yeah. So we're, we're sitting here going, okay, rustic. Well, then the uh, bread knife was in the dishwasher. So, uh... We just pulled it apart. It's rustic. It's more rustic. It's alfresca. So when I was uh, planning my wedding, the thing that I hated the most was everything out in Texas is like, rustic barnyard wedding. And I'm like, hell no. So I don't know if you heard Mark mutter on the couch, <laughs> rustic barnyard wedding. I did hear just him Just to say see that. me make a face. Yeah, I've never understood. <clears throat> it's that or plantation weddings. I don't get it. I don't get, I don't it. get it. I'm like, you really want to be part of, of this? Like, okay, plantation is because it's racist. Yes. Rustic barnyard wedding is it's because a barn. you're literally out where animals shit. Yeah, like, it's not romantic. I know that, like, burlap is cheap, y'all. I know that. But um, I don't get it. The absolute stranglehold burlap had on Pinterest in, like, the 2010s. Oh, my God. Because I, I got married in 2017, so. So, like, you just missed it. So, like, it was burlap. It was a chevron. Everything was a chevron. Mm. That, like, brown and aqua. Yeah, my sister had a lot of that stuff because she ran an Etsy store for a while. Oh, my God. I love it. So, we're back in the studio. I'm glad to see Victoria's face. It feels good to be back. Uh, and we're going to talk about the, the secret garden. Yeah, um, I forgot how racist this book was because I read it when I was like eight. I forgot how ableist this book was. Yeah, yeah, just a bit. Uh, this is going to be fun. But yeah, I'm excited to be back uh, in studio with Victoria. It has been a long time coming. So let's just get into it. Do you want to, we've gone over what we're drinking gone over what we're eating do you want a short story long i'm going a short story long okay so mary lennox is a sickly child who everyone calls foul-tempered and ugly i mean that's got to be real helpful as a kid right that's awful her parents live in india you know british dominated india mm -hmm. and basically ignore her entirely her dad is an army captain and his beautiful wife which is all we ever hear about her um have mary but she's never allowed to see them She's raised entirely by servants in India. Uh, cholera breaks out, and, you know, doesn't matter if you're racist, you're going to die. Yep. Uh, breaks out in the house and uh, leaves no one alive but Mary. And she basically is alone in her nursery for a few days 
until somebody comes in and freaks out and goes, oh my God, there's a child who's alive in here. Oh no. Um, she's found by a group of soldiers mm-hmm. and sent briefly to go live with an, a local English clergyman and his family, but they are absolute dicks. Yep. And she's eventually sent to live with her maternal uncle. His name is Archibald Craven and his deceased wife's brother is Mary's mom. Wait, brother is married to Mary's mom, I guess, in Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> the estate has over 100 rooms. So it's massive. Mm-hmm. And they're all shut up by Archibald. He's like, yes. nobody goes in anywhere here. Like, what? what is the point? It's like Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Uh, he is miserable. They call him a hunchback. And he's evidently been inconsolable since the death of his wife 10 years previously. Uh, mood and relatable. <clears throat> so Mary knows how to do absolutely jack shit for herself. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't even know how to dress herself, which is fun. Yeah. Um. Her new maid servant, Martha Sowerby, lets Mary know that there's a secret garden and also that she needs to, like, get it together and learn how to do stuff for herself. (laughs) And that the garden belonged to Mistress Craven. And when she died, Archibald was like, yeah, nope, locking it up, closing everything. We're done here. Never happening again. Um, And he buried the key after locking the garden. So Mary immediately latches on to the idea of this garden because she's like, everything is terrible. I want to go see this. So she spends a lot of time outside. Um, She's not used to asking people's permission. So she's kind of just doing things on her own. Mm -hmm. Um, She gets a lot of exercise wandering the moors and her temperament and her sickly nature are suddenly disappearing. Why does everyone think the moors can cure illness? I don't know because I've read Wuthering Heights, (laughs) Um, which interestingly enough, there's a whole part in here about what Wuthering means. And it's like the wind moving around. I had no idea what that meant. Fun. For years. My eyes are all watery because of my mascara and stuff okay anyway (laughs) it's like what is happening so anyway uh she meets the gardener ben weatherstaff like that's weather okay and also she meets a robin who is super inquisitive and leads her to the secret garden oh my god she starts to meet a variety of people and become friends with them, which is interesting because everybody she makes friends with is technically of a lower class. Mm-hmm. Um, one day she hears these far off cries in the manor and she's like, what the hell is that? I didn't sign up for the castle of on Toronto or whatever it is. Um, Mrs. Medlock, the head of the servants is like, you did not hear a fucking thing. Do not go look for that kid or wind or whatever it is. It's totally just the wind. <laughs> and while she's distracted walking around outside one day, Mary finds the key to the garden and she's like, hey, I'm going to get into it. She gets into the garden and starts working on it, hoping that the neglected parts will come back to life. Because She hears there's a bunch of roses and stuff. Of course. Dixon, who is Martha's brother, gives Mary a set of gardening tools because she's like, I can't make shit happen without tools. Right. And he offers to help bring like everything back to life with her. Like, hey, I'll do this for you. It's cool. He's also known as basically like the animal charmer of the moors. Like, and she, at one point in time, compares him to people who charm cobras. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm so, I, I don't like that. So Mary continues to hear the noises. And one night she's like, I'm going to go find out what the hell this noise is. Who's crying? What's happening? And she finds out that Archibald actually has a son who is disabled. And his name is Colin Craven. Oh, Craven. Um, And he's... <clears throat> Shut up in a bedchamber. He was born before uh, Mistress Craven died, obviously. Obviously. And Archibald can't bear to look at him because he looks like his wife. Of course. So it's uh, believed that he will become a hunchback and die early. Now, keep in mind, 
This kid is not showing signs of being a hunchback. He is just in a bed all the time. And also being a hunchback isn't like a terminal thing necessarily. Right. Uh, the servants have been told to take heed of his every whim. So whatever he wants, he gets, which is a horrible plan for a child. Mm -hmm. um, and so, of course, he's an absolute dick. Of course. Colin and Mary uh, start to become friends. She's like, hey, what's up? But he uh, loses his shit when Mary's like, I'm not spending time with you today. I'm going to go spend time with Dixon because he's actually fun. <laughs> and uh, he throws a massive tantrum. Mary goes to his room and commands him to stop being a little bitch. Of I mean, course. it's said in a nicer way. Sure. Um, he says that his back is starting to hunch and she examines him and goes, there's nothing fucking wrong with you. It's You're such fine. A, it's such a mood. She tells him that his illness is only in his head. And that he, if he makes up his mind to be well, he will be. Mm -hmm. This is kind of our start of the ableist shit. Yeah. But anyway, um, Dickinson and Mary start bringing Colin out to the secret garden. They find out that Ben has been covertly tending the garden for 10 years. Ben has done it over his loyalty to Mistress Craven. Um, ben does keep Colin Colin the poor cripple. Colin ends up standing on his own feet for the first time in his life. His life gets better because he's outside. The kids keep working on his recovery. So when Archibald comes back from his trip abroad, they can he can see his son's progress. Only Dixon's mom knows about all of this and for some reason decides to write a letter to Archibald to let him know. So he rushes back. Mm -hmm. Archibald comes back to the secret garden and Colin rushes out into his arms. Father and son reunited. Insane. <clears throat> I'm eating cheese now. You deserve it. Uh, so this is a book we make children read. For reasons? Question mark? Because the whole concept is, oh, look, there's this mystical garden and it's hidden and all these kids will go to it and everybody gets better because they go outside in their sunshine. So we're going to talk about that, why that's a butt-ass wrong <laughs> in a minute. But uh, yeah, this is a book. It is the legal definition of a book. Yeah. It's legally a book. It's a book a lot of kids read very, very young. I read it when I was little. And I'm... Why? The best part is now going back, like, so I also read um, The Little Princess when I was a kid, and mm -hmm. that was one of my favorite books. And looking back, I'm like, oh shit, half of that had to do with the uh, diamond mines in South Africa. Yeah, they didn't really talk about any of this stuff great. And none of our teachers framed it in a way that wasn't super problematic. I think part of it was because they couldn't or didn't know. I think they didn't know. Like, for example, Britain taking over parts of India mm -hmm. is very problematic. Yeah, and not, like, discussing it like that was not a great thing. Yeah. So, there's even parts of this to kind of go into a little bit of this this weird racism. When Mary is talking about servants, she's mm -hmm. all surprised that Martha talks back to her. Right. Which Martha technically isn't a typical servant, and she tells her that, too. She's like, I'm mm -hmm. not really great at this, so, you know, you're just gonna have to suck it up. Right. Um, but the fact that she's talking to her and then she's not just giving in to her every whim and she's like, no, you got to do some stuff for yourself, kiddo. <clears throat> she talks about how in India, everybody is incredibly subservient to her mm -hmm. and does everything she asks. And it's like, yeah, because they're afraid you're going to kill them. Yeah. No one talks about British imperialism like that very much, very much or very well anymore. Uh, we saw a little bit of that conversation spike after Elizabeth died. Mm-hmm. Where people are like, hey, so remember when you were a dick to everyone? And it was, like, pretty recent. 
And, you know, they've kind of had to have a come to Jesus about it now, but we're still not really reconciling with the legacy of colonialism. I mean, we never will. The legacy of colonialism is baked into every facet of every culture on the planet. That's one of the reasons that evangelicalism is dangerous, because it's basically religious colonialism. It is indeed. So, But we will get lost on a tangent if we talk about how horrible evangelicals are. Yeah. Uh, let's do some theming and symboling, and we're gonna start with gardens. So they're nice. <laughs> like how you're like they're nice. They're nice. So gardens are kind of a symbol of the taming of the wild. Yes. Um, you see a lot of this in books where you'll have a kind of combination of like in this instance the moors. Mm-hmm. The moors are wild. Grasses and things grow out there, and they grow the way they want to in the seasons as they want to. Mm -hmm. So as Martha will talk about, the moors will suddenly bloom with flowers and be absolutely beautiful, but nobody is controlling that. That is nature and nature will fight you. Absolutely. In gardens, it is a symbol of man taking control Mm -hmm. of the wild for his, uh, his or her own, you know, pleasure. And it was also a lot of, um, basically flexing on thine haters yes it was a ton of flexing because it's like oh we can get this flower and you can't and i can make it grow here even though this is not its home and that was a big thing too for the author which we'll Mm -hmm. get into in a little bit um when she was younger she was exposed to these massive gardens just beautiful areas and then as her family's fortunes changed, she was more stuck in the city where there were no gardens. Mm-hmm. So the only people who had flowers and things like that were the Algernon? wealthy. Algernon. Flowers for Algernon. <laughs> um, sad mice and people who are injected with things. Yeah, and it's also important to mention that, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more when we talk about how the book talks about disability. There was this great idea that like gardens and outdoor spaces could cure anything. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons we have in in England and things like that, these massive green spaces within Mm -hmm. cities. Um, Same thing with New York, unfortunately. When they made Central Park, they destroyed a massive center of Mm -hmm. black excellence, and that never gets talked about. No, but this is where we get sanatoriums and stuff like that, where the idea that, you know, you can cure these awful illnesses like tuberculosis, like really anything you can cure cancer out there with just getting some fresh air and sunlight uh we'll talk about that when we talk about disability because you can see that rhetoric still being used to this day oh absolutely um but gardens really as this exactly you know it's this metaphor for taming of nature and really bringing in you know this part of the outside world in there's also some biblical stuff in there you know garden of eden and everything like that it's oh i've created this eden in an industrialized part of the world and you know you see that symbolism all over and you know that the story only becomes brighter when you know we find this garden the garden is the center of everything everything is you know industrialized and it's a city and it's building upon building upon building until you find the garden the garden is this sanctuary of green space exactly and to kind of go into the flower metaphor, because flowers are another major symbol here. Mm-hmm. Mary is <clears throat> kind of described as a dying plant when she shows up. Yes. Um, she is sickly. Everybody talks about how bad she looks, which mm-hmm. is 
it's really frustrating because it's like this is a kid. This isn't this is like a child. And people talk like she doesn't. She isn't a plant. Like they mm-hmm. act like she can't understand. And they're just like, wow, this kid is really ugly. That's a shame because her mom is hot. Like, like that's not how you talk about people. Yeah. And so she comes there. She's like a dying plant. She doesn't really know how to do anything for herself. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, fresh air and sunshine. It's a magical cure-all. And, you know, there are some flowers that are mentioned. Roses, of course, you know, symbols of love and passion. Also, a giant metaphor for secrets. Mm-hmm. How we get sub-rosa, which is my favorite thing to throw into works of fiction. Because anyone else reading it is like, hey. I need to take you to, there's a bar out here called Cellar Mixology. Yeah, I was supposed to go. It's amazing. I okay. will tell you, it's amazing. Okay. I will buy you a drink. Okay. Because it is phenomenal okay duly noted and it's in a bar the only real symbol that you can see that it actually exists is this like glowing red neon rose love it and then it goes into like a basement and it used to be a uh bordello yes it did so uh saint james square out here y'all yeah gotta love it look for the bordellos (laughs) they're shockingly everywhere they were (laughs) uh let's talk about having hidden places and places that other people don't get to go and see very often so part of that makes it special and magical Mm -hmm. um something that drives me crazy about this book is that this guy has like a hundred room house and he uses like none of it yeah that's annoying um and unfortunately that was somewhat common Mm -hmm. i mean it's expensive to heat an entire house like that it is very expensive to heat a house like that and so you would really only do it if you had um, guests or people who are traveling from abroad. And mm-hmm. honestly, that was more common at the time when this book was is set is, you know, like late 1800s, you would have people, they didn't really have motor cars. So you would show up in, um, you know, horse and buggy and horses needed to rest. Yeah. You show and, up in the middle of the goddamn night saying, yeah. you know, you're my cousin thrice removed. Yeah. And you didn't really have, a, not a lot of places had phones and not a lot of places had electricity. Mm-hmm. So you would have these rooms and people would come stay. And a lot of times they were in opposite wings of the house. They were yeah. in places that nobody went to. They were secret. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole thing with Colin is he's not kept in the main portion of the house. He's kept like a guest in a different portion of the house. He is. And it's really, really weird to think about like even a garden, you know, being a secret when gardens are usually these huge focal points that you really point attention to. But in this instance, it's the garden that is secret. It is the garden that is cryptic until it's not cryptic anymore. Which also, spoiler alert, if you don't want people going into a space, don't mention it. Yeah. Just don't say anything. Just act like it doesn't exist. It's like, it's the whole Beauty and the Beast problem where it's like, you can go anywhere except the West Wing. What's in the West Wing? Nothing. Okay, well then you shouldn't have said anything. Because now... That's the first place I'm going. So what's fascinating about this, just so y'all know, there was an incredible designer of gardens and outdoor spaces named Lancelot Capability Brown. He was a big deal in England. He was a big deal in Wales. And that's just the fucking best name I've ever heard. Lancelot Capability Brown. It's a good name. Um, And he was really well known for designing these very exotic spaces well exotic for england Mm -hmm. and that people would be like talking about oh look this is magical so you have a groundskeeper in these big estates because you want to make a splash you want people to see these gorgeous outdoor spaces so the fact one that the secret garden was controlled only by um 
Mrs. Craven and Mr. Craven mm -hmm. um, initially was supposed to be like a symbol of their love. You know, look at right. these roses. Everything's blooming. Everything's wonderful. We spent right. all this time out here. And it's a symbol of him kind of locking everything up, keeping that place secret. Um, it's funny to me that Ben is the one that sneaks in there and still keeps things alive. Yeah, I love that. That he's just like gone rogue and is like, this is my pet project now. And, like, and that's because of his secret love for Mrs. Craven. Of course it is. But it's not like a dirty love. Like they don't make it dirty because it's a kid's book. Yeah. Um, but it's probably dirty. Might be. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what she got up to. She was hot, supposedly. Yeah, everyone keeps saying how hot she is. Who knows? So you have this hidden place thing and it becomes like this, you know, magical little bubble that you can go into and you can be rejuvenated. It's like a rest spot in a video game where everyone meets here and you can chill out. That movie and comic book Wanted where they just go into those weird like bathtub things. Yes. Like the Lazarus pit and get resurrected. Yeah, it's like one of those. It's, uh, it's the tavern that you bring all your D&D &D characters together after a failed campaign. Everybody get together. We're going to heal. We're going to yeah, drink some we're gonna ale. We're going to heal. We're going to drink some ale. We're going to talk about how horribly we handled that mimic. We're for some reason going to start a fight with a bartender, even though he's a former battler. Yep. God, D&D &D is so much fun. You know, I need to play. We should play. We should play. I've got books and shit. I just don't know. We should play. <laughs> uh, okay. So we're going to talk about disability and illness. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, this book doesn't handle that well. No. <laughs> There's Part of that is because it's a kid's book, but part of that is just a complete misunderstanding of chronic illness at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, one, Colin's situation is not handled well at no. all. Um, the fact that he's basically shut up because he's an inconvenience and that was fairly common for the time period. It was. It was pretty common to lock up your kid because they're a pain in the ass. Oh, your legs don't work? Uh, hidden room in the house. Yeah. Oh, you've uh, got mental difficulties? Hidden room in the house. With the yellow wallpaper. Yeah. You're crazy? That's cool. We're going to go ahead and lock you up someplace far away from here. Right. Like, that was a very, very common way of handling that or using, like, a boarding school or a sanatorium. And that's how you get, like, a Waverly Heights where it's, like, the super haunted place. And every once in a while people will go and it's like, I wonder why this is so haunted. And it's like hundreds and hundreds of years of just horrible things that happened. Tuberculosis patients, people suffering. Yeah. That's why I don't fuck with mental institutions. Like for ghost hunt stuff, I will not touch it. I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah, I, Tori and I have talked about this. It's like my least and most favorite thing about like any like paranormal show is uh, when they go somewhere that's obviously haunted and are shocked by how haunted it is. Mm -hmm. Like, they'll go to prisons or they'll go to, like, sanatoriums and it's like, oh my god, there's so much activity. Of course there is. What were you expecting? There was massive suffering in this place. If you're not visiting ghosts, you are visiting echoes of their energy, dude. Or, uh, I watched this one video. It was about this plane that crashed in the Everglades. And a bunch of people died. It was horrible. What they did was they took the pieces of the plane they could salvage and put it on new planes. Oh my God. <laughs> Why would you? No. It's a horrible idea. So like Los Angeles did this. They had a former mental institution that was decommissioned. Mm -hmm. And a lot of horror people would go and film like indie films there. And then it got turned into housing, like section nine housing. Oh no. And I'm like, don't 
do that to people. No, it's not necessary. But, um, okay. So disability is not written well here. We talk about Archibald's horrible hunchback, which really, like, that's not, that's not, like, a horrible thing. Like, he probably has scoliosis, dude. Yeah, like, that's a very survivable, inconvenient chronic illness. Uh, They talk about Colin, like, he's just gonna fall apart the second that, you know, sunlight touches him. I mean, he's not a vampire. He is a child. But some children are vampires. Are we talking about Claudia? What is happening? (laughs) So I haven't seen the new AMC vampire chronicles and i want to because evidently it's super gay it's, it's very not gay. just uh it's not just a, a rouse a ruse yeah it's not just a, a queer baiting it's it's gay okay so fun story i don't know if you guys could hear that my husband like coughing downstairs talking about invalids no i'm just kidding ah, i'm kidding thanks. i'm kidding no it's funny uh but we also need to talk about uh, this idea of like the rest cure and the nature cure. Yes, because as we're talking about, this is still something that's very common today. I don't know how many times I've seen the meme where it's like, this is trash and it's mental health medication. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is the cure. And it's like walking shoes and a nature trail. Okay, walking is great. Exercise does actually help improve your mental health. It does. Right? I hate to say that. My mental health has gotten better since I started an exercise regime, and I hate saying that, but it's true. It's true. Fuck. It's true. Um, But sometimes, like in my case, you do still need to take your mental health medication. Right. Because, as we like to say, if you can't make your own serotonin, store-bought is fine. fine. Um, It's not necessarily there there are so many things going on with the brain that we don't understand right and can't understand there is no shame in taking medication for well it. and not even just that i think for me it's that exercise is the end-all be-all so and like, it's I, not. I have that with my current psych that i'm getting ready to fire because all his advice to me has been go outside and it's like bro i have executive dysfunction and i've been struggling like with bridge thoughts we're not at this stage where you can tell me to go exercise. We're not at the exercise stage. <laughs> it's um, it's really frustrating, too, because as we're talking about, you do still see this in the uh, medical profession as well. Yes. Um, it goes along with the same thing as, oh, you're fat, so that might be a problem. Yeah, we still <clears throat> see that a lot with weight, with mental health, with everything. And I think... It's frustrating to read a book like this because you start seeing where a lot of that stuff is set. That, oh, you know, they get better when they go out into nature. And there are some people that do. And I don't want to discredit that. There are some people who have genuinely turned their lives around by running and doing stuff. And that's great for them. And you should go out into nature and experience it and enjoy it and be part Mm -hmm. of that. But it's not the be-all end-all for all situations no and it's and it shouldn't be discussed as it's the end game for anything so like my doctor isn't wrong is it better for is it better for me to go outside every once in a while than stay inside all day long of course it is i should be going outside but you aren't addressing the root cause of why i'm not going outside yeah going outside doesn't fix dead parents it doesn't like we haven't addressed the reason why i'm so stressed out and sad that i can't fucking go outside You haven't addressed any of the issues that 
are behind it. You're just saying, go outside. And it's sort of like those memes that, you know, we send to each other and it's like someone dressed as the Grim Reaper on like a little pool float. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, now I'm just a tropical depression. Because <laughs> that's what it is. It's like, go out and see the ocean. Cool. Now I'm depressed at the ocean. That's all. <laughs> you just moved the mental illness to a different location. Okay. As someone else with chronic illness. Yes. Have you had to have the discussion with your doctor where they're like, maybe we should just give you more vitamin D. Yes. Because my vitamin D level was like, I think it was 11 when it's supposed to be in the 20s. So because I have melanin, I don't process vitamin D the same way other people do. I was severely vitamin D deficient. And that is a huge problem. My doctor's like, here's these special pills. You should take them. They're straight vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. And I still take my vitamin D to this day. Every day. And I can't, and I hate saying it. I notice a difference. That and B12. Mm-hmm. When I don't take B12, I suddenly feel like the world is on fire and I want to punch everyone. I mean, I feel like that every day. I mean, same. I also work with people, so. But yeah, like, we talk about disability and chronic illness in a lot of the same ways, which is frustrating, is that we still haven't really grown beyond, you know, this sanatorium idea of, oh, you have this horrible condition. Have you tried going outside? It's like, have you considered going outside and taking a walk, you know, to someone who has tuberculosis? What's interesting, too, about this time period as well is they would tell people from the city to go and go to the country Mm -hmm. and, you know, get that kind of experience Mm -hmm. because it was good for them. It was also because they weren't breathing in a shit ton of carcinogens every day. Yeah. Like, and again, the worst part is, is that there is some validity to going out into nature. So, again, for me, it's the vitamin D. Uh, I tend to do a lot of lizard time when I'm outside where I just sit there and sun myself. Lizard time. Lizard time is great. Where you're just out there just like, this is nice. Amanda, can you lick your own eyeball? I cannot. Neither can I. Uh, But sometimes you just gotta have lizard time. <laughs> where you just go sun yourself. Uh, is that not a universal experience? I, I guess. I think it's supposed to be. I go outside and I turn into a lobster red. So oh, well, that's fair. I have to have limited lizard time. Yeah, but like sometimes, oh my god, like I'll just get stuck in my car. And I'll just be sitting there like enjoying the sun. And it's all nice and warm. But like there's some validity to it. But it's not the end of the conversation. Right. Like, yeah, someone should probably address the fact that I have lizard time. That should probably be addressed. <laughs> that I'm outside just like desperately seeking sunlight. That should probably be spoken about. Listen, I know you can't lick your own eye, but I keep imagining it. I'm just, I'm a very, very complicated, like, leopard gecko. That's all. <laughs> That's all I am. I'm a very complicated leopard gecko. But we still talk about this stuff to this day. And I think, like, that's why it's so frustrating going back and reading it in a book like this. Like, you start to see this stuff impressed upon you when you're very, very young. Except for in the 1990s when I was younger. And, uh... The solution to sick children is keep them inside always forever. Yeah. Or your kid seems to be uh, really hyper. Let's give him some Ritalin. Oh, Ritalin. Those were the good days. I think that was my favorite thing is I went to a school that, a high school that everybody called the drug school. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was funny because no one at our school could afford drugs. 
it was the girls at the local high school near us who were in the rich district that could snort Ritalin to be skinny. And they got busted for it, but we were still called the drug school. Yeah, my school was called a drug school, but it also kind of was a drug school. We weren't cool. We were kind of cool. We had a great step team and football team. Was this a Catholic school? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. High school? I was like, wait a minute. It's a Catholic step team. I don't know. Catholics do not have step teams. No, I went to public school for most of high school, except for the one year that I didn't. And I went to that horrible Episcopalian school and thought I was a witch. The one that made you read... Oh, wait, no, you weren't forced to read the Seagull book. You just kind of did. No, I was forced to. It was required reading. God dang. Yeah, they thought I was a witch and they made me read Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Why? That makes it worse. That guy's got a messiah complex. (laughs) That they thought that I was a witch and then we had to read Jonathan Livingston Seagull. I don't, I don't know how to deal with this right now. Yeah. Oh, and they had, a, they had a thumb in their altar. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they had the thumb of St. Alban in their altar. And they had a castle. They had a castle. So, like, want a castle. sometimes it'd be like, oh, I had to go, I have to get a class. My class is in the castle. So, I just went to a friend's wedding. And it was at the brand new, like chapel that they had just built so it was the first time anybody had gotten married in there not sponsored and not sponsored it's in houston there was an entire wall of reliquaries and i was losing my fucking mind i'm like this is for pope john paul and this is for did it and i'm like going through the different things and i brought brianna over and i'm like look at this see i like it i set my work computer off um <laughs> like look at this where these are reliquaries and i go most of these are probably fake because that supposedly says that's a piece of the true cross, but I really doubt that that would be in Houston, Texas. It would not be in Houston, Texas. And she just kind of looks at me like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, supposedly they have Mary's veil too. I don't think that's true. I think it's just a piece of, they went to Joanne fabrics and got a piece of cloth. I don't know. They use that distress oxide. Oh my gosh. Tori, do you want to talk about how much fun you've been having uh, watching the anti-pope hammer become prolific on tiktok oh my god it's amazing so we've talked about this before about mm-hmm. amanda preaching to a whole group of people out on a uh, little expedition little, yes. gra- little black grandmas yep at the funeral history museum talking about the hammer to prove that a pope is dead mm-hmm. so that you uh, don't have to move on i was a little disappointed because i was hoping they were going to use it on uh benedict yeah but he's not Pope and we don't have to worry about him coming back and trying to be Pope again. God, hope not. Also, he was, like, officially trash. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. I wonder now that he's dead, if, like, in ten years, they'll be like, so this is why he got in trouble and why he stepped down. So they're already doing that? <laughs> they are? Mm-hmm. Because he moved around more than a lot of other a lot of other bishops to Popes did. So they're Oops. already starting to do that thing of, like, well, wait a minute. Hold on. This is us trashing popes and eating cheese. Our favorite thing. <laughs> Our favorite thing to do is trash popes and eat cheese. I was laughing because during my friend's wedding ceremony, there's their our priest is, is the sweetest. He's a total sweetheart. But he's like, yes, your parents take care of you and they love you and they feed you and they guide you. And he's talking about my yeah. friends, which... Yeah. Yeah, their parents did that. Their parents are wonderful. Yeah. Um, And I leaned over to my husband and go, wouldn't that be nice? I was about to say, like, that sounds great. And I'm not trashing my mom. I'm just talking about, like, 
family situations. But we talked about that on the show. But. We have. I, I do love whenever that happens where it's like, oh, and this is the example that your parents should be setting. And it's like, oh, shit, they were supposed to do that? <laughs> you just kind of sit there. That was not in the Dr. Spock book, okay? Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't in the list of things that my parents did. Uh, but yeah, so this book doesn't talk about disability well. No. It's easy to talk it up as a, you know, it was a different time thing, but also we still don't talk about disability well. No. Um, I got to have the fun existential crisis that is, um, if I was in a different country, I would be disabled. Which is weird to think about because then you have like the hyper competent black woman thing. And then you have the like American pull yourself up by your bootstraps thing. But yeah, like if I was in any other country, I would be like disabled and not have to work. Yep. And that's weird to me. America, get it together. That's, that's not going to happen in our lifetime. I, I know. There's so much wrong. We're trying. There's so much wrong. There's so much wrong. We're trying. What am I doing here? What are you doing? I don't know. Here. I got it. Oh, we got it. Ah, wait. Ah. Here we go. Uh, we're going to talk about the author now. Frances Hodgson Burnett. Okay. I'm going to be honest. Her life was a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I got a message about it. Yeah. So she was born November 24th, 1840. Hair flip. She was a Sagittarius. <laughs> um, her family moved from Manchester. So a very industrialized city to St. Luke's Terrace when she was three. Mm -hmm. So they moved to an area that had a lot of gardens. Um, their home backed onto the fields owned by the Earl of Derby. And she started to call it the Bat Garden of Eden. Um, her dad was an ironmonger from Yorkshire, so that, that's all the references to Yorkshire in this book. Mm -hmm. um, she initially had a maid and a nursemaid. They were doing pretty great. Sounds a, great. A year later in 1853, her dad drops dead. Oh, no. And so her mom and four siblings end up moving from house to house for about a decade. Mm -hmm. Her mom is trying to keep the business going, the ironmonger business going, and Frances spends a lot of time with her grandma. Her mm -hmm. grandma teaches her how to read and is like, here's a bunch of books. You're going to love this. And so she gets this very deep love of reading and stories. Mm -hmm. And for a decade, like I said, they keep moving to less and less desirable neighborhoods until her uncle goes, listen, I live in the American South and yeah, the Civil War is going on, but it's almost done. I mean, you should come out. So her mom goes, well, we don't really have a whole lot going on here. So they moved to Tennessee. They moved to an area with a cabin outside of Knoxville um, called Newmarket. And pretty much immediately her uncle is no longer able to take care of this family. Of course not. Because, you know, so <clears throat> her family's poor. Mm -hmm. Shocking. Um, and she sees on the back of a ladies magazine that they pay for stories. And she's already sending stories back to her friends in England. Mm -hmm. Just being like, hey, I wrote this. What do you think? And she's like, you know what? I'm going to send a letter to this editor. So she sends a letter to the editor with a story. And he writes back really confused because one, it's a story set in England. And this paper or this journal is in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And two, it's really well written. And he's like, you're a young woman. There's no fucking way. Which is sexist but whatever so he emails or emails he mails back because this is not the time of emails you know we send an email <laughs> i wish that would be cool he sends a letter back and says hey um write another story and submit it to me because i don't believe you wrote the first one so she's like challenge accepted she sends another one in he gets it and he's like well fuck and so he starts to publish her she didn't get rejected from then on out which is like the dream that's amazing of every fucking writer in the world i'm going to tell you that right now because you get rejected a lot 
So she ends up marrying a doctor in 1873 named Swan Burnett in Tennessee, and they have two sons. Her 18th book, Little Lord Fauntleroy, makes her famous basically overnight. And she buys a 17-room house in Washington, D.C. in cash. So the, she was described kind of like the J.K. Rowling of her day, minus the transphobia. Um, the money from her writing helps her pay for both a house in England and the U.S. so mm -hmm. she can move back and forth. Um, 13 of her works end up becoming uh, plays in the West End in London, which is a huge deal, and on Broadway. Mm -hmm. They move to Paris briefly so Swan can go and study to be an eye and ear specialist. Um, and they move, But they move back to the U.S. when Francis' second son is born. And she really wanted a girl. So the only name that she picked out was Vivian. And so when her son is born, she just spells it, quote, more masculinely. Mood. Um, she would make them lacy collars and these, like, special suits and let them grow their hair long, which she would then curl, which a lot of people think went into her descriptions in Little Lord Fauntleroy. Um, she wrote... 53 novels, most of which were for adults. Mm -hmm. um, and she became part of the Washington, D.C. literati. Um, and she was often ill because it was very hot there. She wasn't used to it. Also, there's a lot of mosquitoes in D.C. Um, and so she was ended up getting really interested in, partially because one of her sons died, theosophy, spiritualism, and Christian science. Oh, man. Which explains a lot of the, let's go outside. That explains cured. so much. So her son Lionel was the one who died. He died when he was 16 and they were in, 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 in Paris. He died from TB. Mm -hmm. um, she ended up covering his entire casket in violets, which is like, that image just hit me and it hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, so things don't go well with her first husband. Um, and they live apart for like two years. Mm -hmm. And so she's then able to declare that she's been deserted. Mm -hmm. And... She divorces her first husband right after her surviving son, Vivian, graduates from Harvard. And her lawyer made sure that those documents were not served to her husband until she was already on a boat to England because people were already talking shit in the media about how she was a quote-unquote new woman and not loyal to her husband, which wasn't true. But right. she was just like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Um, so a lot of that did not go well. Um mm -hmm. Her second husband may or may not have been a blackmail situation, which I find fascinating. His name was Stephen Townsend. She moved him into her house. They were not married. Mm -hmm. And it was quite the scandal because he was 10 years younger than her and he was just living in the house. Um, and he was also an English doctor, so the woman had a thing for doctors. Yes, she did. Um, her journals say that she didn't really want to get married to this guy because she knew that he just wanted her money and wanted to be able to control her as her husband, mm -hmm. and which is why he was pressing for the marriage. So she ends up moving back to the U.S. at one point in time because she has a physical collapse from just being, like, talked Exhausted. so much shit about and having to deal with him. Right. Um, she gets divorced from him a second time. Well, she gets divorced from him, which is her second time. Mm -hmm. And she eventually moves back to England with her sister, Edith. Mm -hmm. They move in together. Things are a lot better. Mm -hmm. And while she's at this house, she sees this red robin every morning. Mm -hmm. And it inspires her to write The Secret Garden. But she ends up doing that when she moves back to America. She buys this property on Long Island. She turns it into this estate. And that's where she lived until she passed away. Um, there was a movie of this that was made in 1919 of The Secret Garden. but Which is five years before she died. But it has been lost. Mm -hmm. So 
obviously there have been a bunch more films since then um because we got to watch all those like hallmark ones when we were kids or whatever yeah i feel like this was everywhere like the minute it was the public domain there yeah. was just like a million and there's a million like knockoffs of it too like you can get some like trolls in central park vibes i think there's even like there's a musical right there is a musical uh, she ended up dying in 1924 and mm -hmm. she is buried in Roslyn cemetery in greenvale new york Ooh. so it's a lovely cemetery never oh wait have i been to greenville i feel like you have i think i have i thought it was greenwood i don't know anyway um there are a lot of cemeteries there in new yes. york yes there are a there lot are, of cemeteries you are correct there are a lot of cemeteries tm <clears throat> all right uh we have some resources for you as always including spark notes wikipedia and uh, the Shakespeare Theater, where you can watch and listen to The Garden of Life, which is another play. Oh, wait. Which one? No, The Garden of Life is a story about her. Oh, so it's a breakdown of, like, the Oh, forgive me. It's a story about her life. Uh, did we have to read this in school? I don't think I had to read it for school, but I definitely did read it when I was a kid. Yeah, I think I read it when I was, like, eight. But I don't know if it was required. Yeah, I don't think it was required for me. It was... You know what? It was in one of those, like, do you remember those, like, children's abridged books that were <laughs> illustrated? It was one of those, and I read those for fun. Like, I read Jekyll and Hyde for fun. It was after she passed away that they ended up releasing an illustrated edition. Yeah, so I read Jekyll and Hyde for fun. I read A Hunchback in Notre Dame for fun. I believe this. These are books I read as a child for fun. I read the Reader's Digest version of Hunchback in Notre Dame when I was younger, and I was like, what the F is this? <laughs> Well, I mean, it was, it was literally just, let's take out all the descriptions of the churches that make up most of this. Yeah, that's what Disney did. Yeah. <laughs> just illustrate it. Okay. No one cares about the church. <clears throat> all right. Do you want to... I don't know where my brain went. I was <clears throat> so struck by cheese. So, for February, we're kind of doing a little divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. Because it is obviously, you know, February 14th. All that bullshit yes. for valentine's day lupercalia lupercalia Woo. um i owe lupercalia um but also it is african-american history month or black history month depending on who's talking it is um so we are going to start with the narrative of the life of frederick Douglass, written by frederick Douglass, written by frederick Douglass. so we're going to be depressed yeah we're gonna be sad uh, and then we're gonna come in with some sort of book that involves romance which knowing me i'll probably be like let's do this one it's horrible yeah i recommended anna karenina and dr zavago <laughs> and both were shot down anna karenina is really long it if is you really wanna, long. if you want to read it we can it is really long i don't want to read it but you know I'm, i love that like when i'm trying to think of romances all i think of like sad russians yeah i'm like okay it's like dr zavago technically a romance we can do rebecca where they never actually uh give the main character the narrator a name because you want us to hurt. Yeah. Because you want us to hurt. The second Mrs. De Winter. Oh, fine. We'll figure it out. That book is fucked. Uh, this entire time, I have been distracted by the signed image of Alex Kingston. Yes. My my dream wife. She's so perfect. Uh, oh, yeah. That wasn't up last time you were here. It was not. So last time Amanda was in the library at my house. There was not art all over. Everything was kind of just where it wanted to be. This is true. There are also some other editions that I won't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's other editions that I won't discuss here. It's changed a lot. And Amanda's not even talking about my collection of animal skulls. I knew those were here. Yeah. I knew about those. All right. So we're going to do the narrative life for Frederick Douglass next. Uh, Tori, where can the good people find us? We're all over social media. Whether or not we keep up with it is a whole other story. I've been trying my best. I'm not talking crap about you. I'm talking about the fact that I haven't even logged into Instagram on my new phone yet. <laughs> um, it is unfortunately required reading on Facebook. Unfortunately, RR on Twitter. Unfortunately required on Instagram. Or just go to one website, unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. That is indeed the best place to find everything at once. Including pictures of what we are eating slash drinking. Yes. Uh, if you would like to support the show, you may do so at anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading. This is where we shout out our patrons that keep the show going. Thank you so much for your monetary support. It allows us to keep plentiful cheeses and alcohol. And there's like this delicious bread today. There is this delicious bread that I, in, that I intentionally did not eat as much of. Because your child guilt-tripped me on my way upstairs. Oh, don't listen to her. My kid's like, you're going to save some bread for me, right? Because apparently just like the cat has never been fed or loved before. <laughs> my cat was very, very happy to see Amanda. I was very happy to see the cat. Yeah. like, yes! Because, yeah, apparently just like the cat has never once seen food or... <laughs> never been loved or received food before. So there was bread still for the family. Oh my God. Uh, if you'd like to suggest a book for us, or you have a funny story about your English class, if you're still in English class, I'm sorry, why are you listening to us? Yeah, we're not here to help your English class, I don't think. Oh, or just about literature in general, you can send us an email on reading at gmail.com. Nope. Uh, Tori, it's great to see your face. It's so good to see your face! <laughs> it's good to see your <laughs> face. We will be back with a longer episode and more to talk about next time. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize this was so short. Yeah, this is a relatively short one. For us, yeah. Listen, there's not a lot to say about gardens and chronic illness. That's true. Okay, so I'm really excited too, before we end out. Yes. I found out that Helen McCrory, before she passed away, was in a production of Medea. Really? And For the National Theater in England. And now I need to fucking watch it. So, for those of you who care... I just power watched all of Peaky Blinders at the start of the month, and it was of course you did. amazing. Killian Murphy looks like a dying Victorian boy, but um, because he is, yeah. But Helen McCrory, rest her soul, was absolutely fucking amazing, um, and we were definitely robbed of of somebody fabulous by cancer. Um, that woman could act her ass off, mm -hmm. so. Anyhow, you can watch a movie or you can go read a book. I don't care. Yeah. You know what? In the spirit of telling people what to do with about their chronic mental illness, mental illness or chronic disabilities, you know what? Go outside. Get some sunlight. But also take your medicine. And do what works for you. And uh, as long as that doesn't involve becoming a serial killer. Yeah, don't do that. So yeah, uh, go read a book. Go get some sunlight. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.